welcome to the Nerd Kitchen Podcast. They like to talk about food. Hello and welcome to the Nerd Kitchen Podcast. This is Max and we are back after a pretty long break. Uh, as expected, life took a different turn uh, after the pandemic and it took us a while to set our affairs into order. But nevertheless, uh, you know, despite a lot of messages from people um, via Twitter and DMs and so on, um, we're back with another season. So officially, we're going to call this as season two of the Nerd Kitchen podcast. And on this episode, we're going to start off the season with our first episode talking about tea. To talk about, I'm not the expert on tea, and we wanted to see how can we bring someone with more authority to talk about the nuances of tea. We had to search a lot, talk to a lot of people, and finally we found a gentleman uh, who is very well versed in tea. And as we are spe- speaking and recording this episode, he is sitting in a tea garden 200 kilometers outside Nairobi in Kenya, the Wi Fi dongle in a garden. And that is how authentic and that is how much credentials we're looking for on this podcast. So, without further ado, let me bring in our special guest and my partner in crime, Ajit. Ajit, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Max. It's great to be back. And uh, yeah, I'm looking, I'm really, really looking forward to this because this topic is indeed uh, very close to my heart. Yes, for those who don't know, uh, other than uh, running marathons for fun and uh, running all over the city of Bangalore uh, for breakfast, um, Ajit actually on uh, works <laughs> with tea, works with tea, uh, f- uh, and that is has been part of his, uh, you know, for more than a decade, I would think, for now, and uh, you know, frequents and which much to my, uh, you know, disdain, he frequents a lot of these tea gardens and gets to visit all these picturesque places in Assam, Uti, and now in Nairobi. So think of that for a job. Right, you can on weekends you go run around and feed people <laughs> breakfast, and then when it's work time, you're actually sitting in a tea garden. So, yes, Ajit, not at all jealous about that. It looks and sounds very glamorous, but I can tell you it's anything but that, because it's a. Uh, so as we'll talk more about tea, there is a there is a ridiculous amount of slogging that is needed in my job, and uh, yeah, so. It, 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 those days are very very long and a lot of uh, work goes into making a good cup of tea so hopefully uh, through this uh, episode hopefully the idea is to give people a sort of an end-to-end holistic perspective on how tea is made what are these kinds of tea and who drinks what kind of tea and you know where tea is consumed how and therefore uh, you know how do companies cater to that and uh, probably this is a good time to put in a disclaimer that I do work with uh, one of the largest tea companies on the planet and therefore I will be sharing more or less uh, generic information that is more or less available out in the public domain. Obviously, I can't share anything uh, that is confidential. Uh, but having said that, I think one thing needs to be very made very clear is that it is like food or any other substance that goes inside your body, an agricultural product. It is deeply subjective. I mean, to say that, you know, this tea is superior, that tea is inferior, uh, it, it beyond a point doesn't make sense because at the end of the day, uh, you know, our job is to 
satisfy end user uh, bring smiles to their uh, uh, faces uh, with a good cup of tea and whatever kind of sensory profile that the consumers prefer our job is to cater to that so that is a good cup of tea for us with that disclaimer we will jump into the episode so to start off we wanted to first talk about the history of tea and how uh, this beverage has you know got its has transformed india <clears throat> into a tea drinking uh, uh, country although some would agree that uh, would argue that coffee is probably more popular but i don't think that holds too much water not even remotely true so so sorry man let me just begin by busting a few myths that you know <laughs> Uh, the consumption of tea in india dwarfs coffee tea is the second most consumed beverage on the planet after water and the other myth that i wanted to bust is this whole oh my god south india is a filter coffee hub absolutely untrue the consumption of tea is once again anywhere from 8 to 10 times that of coffee uh, so this whole thing that you know south india is a filter coffee uh, uh you know bastian and tea consumption is less is absolutely untrue the kind of volumes of tea uh, my employer alone sells uh, is a, is ridiculous so 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 yeah and 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 you know uh, that that is something i want to make it very very clear right from the get go india is a tea drinking country south india is a tea majority drinking region and uh, that is that the volumes comparisons are not even remotely close so yeah let's move on with the rest of the episode we do have an episode on coffee coming up soon uh, hopefully we will have a rebuttal then but uh, for now i think this is almost like uh, stone cold steve austin giving a stunner to vince mcmahon if you are a wwe fan then you will probably get that but let, let us get back to the history of tea so now uh, there 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 may be varying uh, accounts of this but largely the one that is agreed upon is that you know there was a chinese emperor uh, who you know who who was sitting under who was sitting uh, in his garden then uh, these leaves uh, fell into his uh, pot of warm water that he was drinking and uh that's how accidentally you know uh they, they you know uh, and that was uh, the leaves from a tea and he was a very ardent horticulturist and therefore he took that forward and uh, that is how slowly uh, you know all of china became a tea drinking country and it is also rumored that uh, monks took this in uh, took these leaves back to japan and that is how japan also uh became a tea drinking country and uh you know the whole tea is so much entwined into their culture that tea ceremonies and all are part of part of their religious practices and so on uh but the story of how tea came to india is a pretty interesting one before that i think uh you need we need to talk about how tea first made its way to europe so you know like the dutch and all these people were trading with china and so they would take tea back and forth and it was not still not that popular but the portuguese i i believe uh, were the ones that uh, got addicted the most amongst all europeans and um, i think it was one of the charleses i think charles the uh, second who took a portuguese bride and so she brought 
tea um, into the palace. And that is when from being something that uh, only, you know, the working class or the traders would drink, it became a thing of royalty because tea was now brewed in the, uh, in the royal uh, kitchens. That's when the fever gripped all of um, England and they, they, they couldn't have, they, they just wanted more and more tea. So, you know, naturally, all of Europe was trading with China. Everything was going good until, uh, until when there were cracks in this whole uh, mechanism. <laughs> and so Britain now had to find a different way to get their fix. Uh, in comes the uh, East India Company. And so since, uh, you know, up, to, up till then, I think they would trade uh, silver and things like that. But once China said, we don't need any of that, uh, they wanted to find out what does China need the most. And, you know, they don't need gold, but they wanted something that is perceived to be much more valuable than gold, which is opium. Right? And that this is when it, the, it gets a bit dark, I would say, right? because um, the East India Company forced a lot of farmers to grow opium so that they could uh, uh, they could export all of that to China in exchange for tea and then send tea back to the motherland, right? And there are pretty dark stories of how, you know, a lot of people were forced into the opium uh, farming and, you know, things, things like that. But again, it was the British East India Company. So not many nice stories have come out of that uh, whole chapter in history. Uh, but then I think the, there was this whole opioid crisis and uh, within China also, uh, and, uh, you know, they, they, they didn't want to do this anymore. So now they had to find a way to figure out how to do this themselves. Uh, and I think this is where, Rajit, uh, you should come in and talk about uh, Assam because though he was not grown in most of India, which is why they were growing opium and trying to trade with China, Assam, because it shares a border, was nat na naturally growing wild tea, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, however, I think from what I was reading, uh, they were more in the practice of just smoking it, like, you know, stuffing the tea leaves into bamboo and then uh, yeah. kind of smoke smoking it. So it was still not the brewed, steeped water, it's not the brewed or the steeped in water uh, version of tea that they were drinking. But, that is when they realize that, well, you know, this region can produce tea because it's growing wildly without any anything. And that's when they focused their energies on uh, plantations in Assam. And I think that also goes into, unfortunately, another dark uh, story wherein because the locals revolted yeah. against it, they started uh, bringing... What's the right word to say? Forced labor. Okay, let's say that. They started bringing in forced labor <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, from mm. other parts of the country uh, to work in these tea estates in Assam. And there's a lot of movies also made uh, on this. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's a, it was a pretty gory thing because, you know, they were bonded laborers yeah. uh, who didn't speak the language yeah. and they were forced to grow tea in Assam, all because they could send this back to the motherland. And I think it is around 1930 or something around that, the time of the Great Depression, wherein now <clears throat> there wasn't that much uh, tea being sold in England and the tea estates mm. in India were just growing abundance of tea thanks to their uh, growing techniques. Mm. And now they have a problem of surplus. So uh, this is where it becomes slightly more interesting and less dark, right, Ajit? Because now they had to find a way 
to sell tea to the Indians uh, or the you know the, the Indians that were working in offices and uh, things like that to start drinking tea because India was not a tea drinking nation at that point. See, uh, so the as far as the first wild cultivar of tea is concerned, uh, uh, it's the shared region between uh, Assam, China, and Burma. That's where it was found. So. So yeah, I mean, of course, uh, India and China continue to claim uh, the origin of tea, but it is that area in general where the first wild cultivar of tea was found, and it's I believe it's dated to be as old as three thousand years ago. Whereas this whole emperor incident thing, uh, where the tea leaf fell into the uh, pot of uh, warm or hot water, that happened I believe hardly five to six. Right, so so the history of tea actually traces back to a much longer uh, time frame. So so it's kind of interesting how uh, the cultivars are very very old, but the consumption of tea through serendipity or whatever started much later. Right, and uh, no, that that is an interesting one because you have, you have the wild cultivars that were there uh, in India and its neighboring areas from much before. Just that. <clears throat> You know, people drinking it or consuming it uh, started a lot long later. Uh, but then I was, as I was saying, you know, they had to now figure a way out to uh, sell this to uh, the Indians and get the Indians to drink uh, uh, tea, which is when they started. There was a huge PR mechanism to, you know, get people to do uh, drink tea. They started putting ads and uh, because, you know, the whole... Uh, image of tea was with these bonded laborers in Assam. They started printing these ads of women who are very smiling and happy, or dancing around these tea estates as they are plucking yeah. tea. And uh, th- those were how a lot of the paper ads or the posters were printed of people uh, happy in the in the in the estates, and also happy people drinking tea. And um, I think at some point it was also propagated as uh, medicinal and, uh, you know, to increase productivity yeah. and things like that so that, you know, it, they could put that kind of a spin of it. So it was a really huge PR to get an entire nation to drink tea. And also because I think it was around that time, um, you know, Gandhi was, uh, you know, uh, uh, also rejecting the whole concept of, uh, you know, British made goods and so on. And though tea, though was grown in yeah. India, in you know, it was grown in India. Yeah. It was still considered a British good because primarily its use was mm. uh, to go. And yeah. so I was look, I was searching, and I actually found a poster where, uh, and again, I, this is not by the British, obviously. This is by because they had set up these uh, companies or these mm-hmm. tea. Uh, uh, so there's this poster of all these freedom fighters. You know, you have uh, uh, Azad, Bhagat Singh, and all of these guys, and then. Uh, yeah. this whole thing of people drinking tea saying that tea will unite all of us together and so on. So uh, it's very interesting mm-hmm. how something that the British started but later took its own uh, own, own, own phase of trying to bring in that because of uh, Gandhi's thing of rejecting the British uh, British goods but they still were trying yeah. to get tea. Yeah. So, but that and that is why it is very uh, it, it's interesting to follow the journey of tea through that period right up to uh, independence, wherein, uh, you know, uh, tea played a big role in also a lot of the congregations where people would come together for uh, to talk about the freedom struggle and so on. They would also drink tea and things like that. So, mm. uh, yeah, 
starts becoming a more positive story from the darker uh, origins of it yeah yeah it, but it is fascinating and again uh, we're not going to spend way too much time talking about it. i'm guessing we can talk for an hour if we just spoke yeah. about the history because there's quite a few uh, there's Absolutely. quite a few papers and stuff like that i think what we should go into ajit next is how tea is grown uh because that yeah. i think is very fascinating from to me from the uh, from the geography of it and also all the mm. different types of tea uh you know and how how they are named and so on so shall we go into that so the fundamental species of the plant is camellia sinensis and uh, so okay the thing about tea is that lot of words are borrowed from colloquial slangs so the sub variety are called jats and uh, it's, these days the word has an unfortunate context rightfully so but uh, i i suppose the tea terminology hasn't really you know kept up with the times in that sense so there is an assamica jat there is a china jat and there are a lot of specialty clones there is camellia japonica uh, which has a you know like a tabebuya like flower that blooms out of the chai and there are a lot of specialty clones with extremely special properties uh that give rise to certain sensorial you know aroma and taste profiles in tea so, but those are that those are kind of the fundamental uh types of species as far as tea is concerned and very interestingly it doesn't matter what kind of tea you drink white green oolong black orthodox ctc uh you know any kind of tea uh, it is tea if it is derived fundamentally from camellia sinensis so that is kind of an important distinction to make and uh, so so worldwide wherever tea is grown the, the key tea growing cultivating nations would be india of course china japan turkey uh, then you have argentina and kenya of course where i am sitting as we speak so so these are some of the main tea growing nations on earth and it's kind of very interesting because unlike lot of other fundamental staple crops like rice wheat uh, rice wheat and maize uh, tea is kind of grown only in these regions it has to do a little bit with weather it has to do a lot with the ph of the soil and the uh, specific minerals that the soil has that is actually conducive for growing tea so it's not like you know like a, a rose plant or something that i just buy from a nursery and just plant it in my balcony and boom i have like a tea garden in my backyard or whatever it's not as easy as that um and there are two types of uh, methods uh, one is a clonal the other one is a seedling uh, and lot of uh, you know estates and gardens maintain a healthy ratio of each depending on the kind of quality of tea they want to provide uh, e- lot of well known estates have their own nurseries where they've been cultivating these seedlings for you know decades uh, and they continue to modify uh, certain practices to produce clones and the reason why these things are very important is because uh, you know we can't avoid certain changes caused by climate and uh, what and, and there is also little control around what other industries are doing around us and 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 that's a very interdependent relationship between 
what goes into the ground and therefore the composition of soil around that area, how that impacts the pH, how that impacts water retention, and in general, how resistant are these crops to weather. So there is an incredible amount of research happening in that area on how do we uh, sustain tea uh, as a crop in these specialized regions in spite of lot of things changing around us, right? Because if I look at tea, uh, I mean, since whatever, 20s or 30s, lot of tea has been consumed in India and obviously lot has changed since 20s and 30s in India, right? I mean, for starters, we got independence and lot of infra, lot of industry, etc., etc. But tea still continues to be grown in only certain pockets within India, right? I We are talking about uh, Nilgiris, area uh, in the south, uh, Kerala, uh, Munnar, uh, Tamil Nadu, very tiny amount in Karnataka as well. Uh, you have West Bengal, that's a big hub. You have Darjeeling there, you have Kacha Duar, uh, that's another kind of uh, geography for tea as far as India is concerned. Of course, the tea capital of India, uh, which is Assam, uh, that, that's the tea capital of India. And uh, now Kangla Valley, Himachal is also gaining a lot of popularity. Uh, for some specialized uh, kind of tea. But like I said, all these are Camellia sinensis varieties. Um, the crown jewel of Indian tea obviously is Darjeeling that fetches ridiculous amount of money. Uh, you know, but but that those things have not changed since the 20s or 30s. So So it doesn't matter what all has changed around us. The fundamental fact that tea continues to be grown only in those regions is a testament to the fact that it is not that easy to grow because we keep talking about, oh, technology has advanced, so why not? But but that doesn't mean I can grow tea everywhere. Similar logic applies to coffee as well, right? It's not like I can grow coffee everywhere either, right? So, so that is the beauty about things like tea and coffee. So, so that's, and, and like you said, if we start talking about each facet of tea, we could keep talking for hours. And, uh, you know, it, it, thanks to my profession, I have gained an immense amount of uh, appreciation for, uh, while it looks elegantly simple, uh, from a complexity point of view, the tea plant and the chemistry and the biochemistry makes it uh, perhaps the nature's most complex factory so the number of molecules and the chemical reactions that happen when tea is made uh, are even more complicated than say a petroleum or any other beverage that you can think of on this planet it's an extremely extremely complex material and perhaps this is where it also makes some sense to kind of dive into how tea is made and, and from like an end-to-end -end perspective right so, so let us say uh, you have a leaf and uh, let's say it's Camellia sinensis, right? You, the first step is uh, plucking and each uh, garden has a practice. So they have hectares dedicated uh, for growing the tea plant, of course. And uh, do, there is a certain plucking cycle. It's not like I can go randomly and pluck tea leaves from all over the place and start processing because <laughs> when you... Uh, if, Start plucking the leaf, you look for the bud and the two leaves and the three leaves or four leaves, depending on the quantity of tea that you want. And once you pluck, it takes anywhere from seven to 14 days for it to grow back because it's, like I said, an agricultural product, right? 
so in your hectare you uh, or all the land you have to keep very close track of where you are plucking from and you have to demarcate certain zones and of course the age of a tea plant is on the order of 80 to 100 years so tea is like a nature's gift that keeps on giving you start a tea plant and uh, you know it's your you keep plucking every 7 to 14 days and you can keep doing so for the next 70 to 100 years a uh, fun fact is actually tea is not a plant it's supposed to be a tree so back in the day centuries ago if somebody wanted to pluck tea they would actually employ monkeys to go pluck the leaves and then throw the leaves back at them uh, naturally it's kind of hard to scale this model because it's tough to train monkeys so then people decided okay uh, what do humans do best they change things to their liking so as soon as the tea trees started growing beyond their uh, you know comfort level in terms of height they started pruning it so now that is why you have these steep plants but if you let them grow they actually end up becoming trees so just for the ease of plucking we have tea plants but in reality they are actually large trees so so that's kind of a little tidbit of uh, information yeah now okay so uh, so, so the managing a tea plantation is an extremely, extremely challenging job because you have these uh, very interesting terrains, right? If I'm talking Nilgiris, you have elevations, you have mountains, uh, Assam is flat, uh, and, and, and the concept of seasonality is very, very interesting, right? Because uh, if you look at Assam, there is a first flush, there is second flush, the kind of uh, nutrients that are taken by the tea, the weather conditions, uh, and the fundamental biochemistry of tea is slightly different, so you get a different taste for these first and second flush. And this is this is very evident, especially for Darjeeling tea. So the first and second flush, the second flush especially is called that whole muscatel thing that fetches extremely high value. Uh, so in India, the season is actually, uh, if I look at Assam, it's an eight to nine month long season. South India, it's more or less perennial, uh, save a couple of months. But now people have developed a very nice uh, tactic of uh, something called frost tea. So, so you have these borderline uh, ice-covered tea leaves and they harvest and make something extremely aromatic out of it called frost tea. Uh, this is very popular in the Nilgiri. Uh, so that way South India has a year-long tea season. Uh, similarly, Kenya. Kenya also has an eight to nine month long tea season, but the manufacture is more or less perennial. There are a few dry uh, bouts but more or less all year long. Turkey on the other hand it's a very very interesting geography right uh, because the, the, the by the Black Sea the season is just three to four months long uh, or yeah it's three to four months long and the, the, the region is very interesting because you have sea the Black Sea and the temperatures also go sub-zero or close to zero that is actually freezing and there are mountains. So Turkey is a very fascinating geography for tea. Uh, but the leaves, uh, like I said, the weather conditions uh, render it viable only for a three to four month long tea season. So the factories that you see in Turkey are humongous. So, so one factory that I am aware of, it handles uh, 420,000 kilos of leaf every single day. So that's so 420 tons of leaf is the kind of volume we're looking at per day. Uh, similarly, Argentina also has a very interesting uh, geographical concentration. So it's the border of Argentina and Brazil where uh, tea grows. It's the Misiones region. 
and uh, uh, that season is also like a six months long season. So, so it's very fascinating to see that you know this whole interplay of geography, climate, uh, soil conditions, etc. Uh, so while the fundamental species is the same, the way it is grown, the way it is managed across geographies is extremely, extremely different. And that makes it a very, you know, unique and interesting uh, kind of a biomaterial, so to speak. So I'm sorry. Okay, so let's get back to how tea is made. Ah, <laughs> no, so, no, okay. that, is, so that is awesome. Plug belly. <laughs> that, 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 that was awesome. So, it, so there's a lot that goes into it. I mean, even before plucking, all these kinds of things have to be kept in mind. And and of course now you have to realize that you know tea demand is growing and uh, just like you know other beverages. Uh, but having said that, if I recall correctly, as far as India is concerned, India consumes uh, sixteen to seventeen times the amount of coffee it consumes. I believe the figure is something like uh, the coffee consumption is hundred twenty million kilos, whereas tea is one point two. No, yeah, one point two to one point four billion kilos. This is just consumption. We are not even talking export. So, so India dwarfs uh, I, I mean, tea consumption dwarfs anything else, maybe except water, uh, in terms of uh, the, the the amount uh, that is consumed in India. Yeah. So okay. Uh, so like I said, uh, you know, it's it's a very complex interplay of various factors. And yeah, since the demand is increasing, the government is also kind of stepping in. We have a tea board in India, for instance, uh, because okay, so the more the more expensive teas in India, uh, from a mass market perspective, come from Assam. Uh, I'll talk about the export market later. Uh, and in Assam, by law, from tea board and the government, beyond a certain point in December, you can't manufacture tea. That's because uh, in the name of increasing volumes, you can actually chop the entire tea plant only to realize that you've screwed up the long-term uh, you know, sustainability of tea. It's, it's not as simple as you take a sickle and just chop the heck out of it and then make tea. Uh, because the quality matters a lot depending on how much of the tea plant you pluck. So now let's get into that, right? So when you pluck, uh, when somebody says, I want the finest tea, now, that's a very interesting choice of words because what is fine is uh, kind of dependent on the consumer. So let me take a, a, like a bit of a detour and, and kind of clarify what this fine means. So before we make tea, let's understand what is it that we're looking for in a tea. There are a few key attributes. The first is the flavor, the, the aroma that you get out of the hot tea. Second is the color and third is the body. And there are a couple of other considerations, which is the size of the tea particle and the appearance of the tea particle. <clears throat> and, and just taking India itself, it's a very fascinating uh, country. Yeah? So if I look at, uh, again, this is going to be a crude generalization. Of course, if I look at the northern part of India, uh, people prefer larger granules. Like they call it Danedar Chai. So it has to be large. It has to be super clean, devoid of fibers. And uh, the kind of cup color they prefer is of a certain nature. By contrast, in South, uh, we do consume like a lot of dust tea. Uh, and here's where I'd like to bust another myth because I keep hearing that dust tea, the word dust has a negative connotation. Right. Right. Uh, so dust teas are inferior. That's absolutely not true. It's like saying 
uh, i take curry leaf and uh, pound it in a mixi and the larger particles are somehow superior to the smaller particles that doesn't make sense it's the same camellia sinensis plant that you're chopping it will give you different particle sizes but this is the same leaf uh gives you the same different particle sizes the quality is not really a concern so if you take the same leaf and you chop it up and you dry it the smaller particles and larger particles will have fundamentally the same chemical composition this is this whole uh, idea of dust is inferior uh, leaf is superior is I, i have no idea where that comes from uh but having said that different qualities of tea plucked from different parts of the plant will taste different but this whole superior inferior is a very subjective conversation like any other food product right so it depends on what taste what strength what color is desired by a consumer and that is extremely different for a north south east west not to mention how much milk one uses while making a tea how much water what is the extraction protocol all that put together there is no such thing as you know like a perfect cup of perfect cup of tea is whatever the consumer wants and as a company or a organization it's our job to cater to the consumers that that that's pretty much it yeah so now but from a traditional point of view uh when you pluck a leaf we talk about what is called a two leaf and a bud so the reason why we are so interested when you look at any picture of a tea packet or a tea garden in the ads they always show this bud surrounded by two leaves the reason for that is uh the polyphenol concentration or the starting materials needed for making polyphenols is most concentrated there so then the obvious question is why pluck anything else so it's a good question right because if polyphenol the, the starting materials for polyphenols which is what gives black tea its color uh is there why bother plucking anything else it's a simple question of volume and economics right my plant is on the order of uh, you know 2 3 kilos if not more and if i choose to pluck only two leaf and a bud that is hardly a gram so i am not even utilizing 1000 of what i am growing and and that economically and volume wise doesn't make sense i'll never be able to cater the volume right so any tea that you see in the market any branded packet that you see it's not like i grow somewhere i chop it and dry it and put it in a packet it's a blend of at least 5 to 20 different components each component has a, it's like what i like to call like this spice box model because uh, again it's a crude generalization but lot of households in india you'll find this spice box with these five to six things and when we mix them in different proportion and apply different techniques it creates magic in the kitchen similarly in tea there are these five to see six different kinds of components and when you uh, some are meant for aroma and flavor some are meant for body some are meant for color and few for certain other specialty attributes yeah so 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 it is a very complex dynamic when you talk about uh, you know what is a good cup of tea uh, it is subjective but to give that cup of tea involves a lot of uh, mastery which is a mix of science and art in terms of uh, blends recipe creation how to get these different ingredients from the tea plant itself from different geographies blend them and then give the consumers the perfect cup of well when you say uh, <clears throat> six different components uh, are these <clears throat> still parts of the tree plant or are these external yes. ones like for example in coffee you have chicory and these other yeah. kind of things that get added to a to a blend right so when you say components a what are you talking about the, these are derived from camellia sinensis i'm i'm not talking about anything else so okay so i'll probably get back to that in a second 
now uh, so okay so that now we are actually getting into making tea yeah now when you pluck the tea leaf uh you essentially if i look at the cellular biochemistry of tea leaf uh tea has cells leaf has cells like any other biological material this cell actually has enzymes in one compartment and catechins and other substrates in the in another compartment now these are separated from each other if i heat the tea leaf so let's say i take a tea leaf and zap it in the microwave uh beyond a certain temperature the enzymes get deactivated and uh, therefore uh what i get is essentially green tea so if i inactivate the enzyme the enzymes don't get to interact with the catechins and i get green tea now i if i pluck only the bud and then if i dry it in the sun that is basically white tea so the heat from the sun over a period excuse me period of time deactivates the enzyme so i get white tea and that's why white teas are expensive because imagine if a tea plant is uh, you know uh, maybe like a uh, 3 quarters of a meter to a meter tall and uh, i am plucking only the buds it is literally like uh, you know 1 uh, 10000 to 1 millionth of its mass uh, that's the only part of the tea plant that i'm utilizing for production of tea so that is why it's extremely expensive not to mention all these leaves and buds that you're plucking it's 80% water it's 20% uh, you know that's that's the actual solid so 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 imagine that right so 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 at the end of the day that's the small amount of uh, goodies that we're talking about and how to preserve that is a it's an essay on lot of engineering and biochemistry so lot of disciplines combine to give you like a very good cup of tea so okay so white tea green tea now let's get to black tea okay so now if i take a tea leaf and if i start chopping it what happens is you break the cell wall therefore uh, the barriers for uh, these enzymes and these catechins to interact kind of break and therefore the interactions happen uh, these interactions also require oxygen and water and in this process the catechins are converted into what are called polyphenols uh catechins are of course a category of flavonoids and polyphenols but that's a very tangential discussion that you know will kind of digress from the core point of this conversation so okay so polymeric polyphenols are such as thioflavins and thiarubidins are what give you the nice uh, you know brown uh, color to the end cup so so during this process of oxidation uh, since it's an enzymatic oxidation Uh, that also releases some carbon dioxide it's often called fermentation but it's actually enzymatic oxidation so fermentation is a is not exactly a misnomer it depends on how you see it because uh, uh, enzymes are involved and there is some co to release so some people say okay you can call it fermentation but it doesn't involve microbes so why am i calling it fermentation but either which way the process uh, of taking green leaf and converting it into like a brown solid uh is what cutting is all about now when you cut the tea leaf uh, the resulting material is brown and this material is called dhul which is again borrowed from you know colloquial hindi because dhul means mud and the material that goes uh, that that uh, that you see after chopping the tea leaves and leaving it for uh, oxidizing for a uh, hour hour and a half 
turns brown uh, similar to uh, you know the whole mehendi dynamics you start with something green and you end with something orange or brown and then you basically dry this uh it sounds extremely simple but now if i look at what's happening during this whole simple process of plucking cutting oxidizing and uh, drying uh there is a cascade of reactions happening the, there are two fundamental types of reaction uh some uh, are geared for uh, generating aroma volatiles and some are geared towards generating the uh the, the the polyphenols that you get in the end cup but that's pretty much uh, th- in a nutshell that's what is happening and during drying it's it's a very good example of uh, you know how bi- biochemistry and chemical engineering come together uh, because during the process of drying the idea is to lock all these reactions remove all the moisture but your drying should be of a nature that it preserves all the aroma of the tea because at the end of the day uh one very interesting aspect about anything that goes into your body is that your sense of taste is the last to experience it right anything any food product anything that goes into your body your perception of while you crave for taste ironically it's the sense of taste that is the last to experience so let's take the example of tea first of all i look at the tea granules so if i am from the north if it's dust i will reject it right away even if it's the world's best tea end of discussion right so the size of tea is important then you look at the appearance is it light brown is it jet black does it have some fibers all these things are natural and you know not modified or whatever but the consumers have a certain preference now as i am preparing the tea uh, does the color release fast does it look strong does it feel strong has a huge connotation and then of course the smell right so all four senses uh your eyes your hands your nose uh have have experienced the tea already and you've 80% made up your mind so for instance if somebody brings you a cup of milk tea that is very light in color you'll be like oh this is such a weak tea even before you taste it right so that's why making the tea is where it starts so the leaf is where it starts but the process that gives you this uh tea is extremely vital because i have to preserve all those goodies so that the consumer gets a very very good experience at the end of the day now this whole chopping of tea uh, to make black tea can be either orthodox it's called so because these rollers are how traditionally teas were made not only in india but you know if i look at other countries like china japan etc it's the whole rolling process to make black green tea was extremely extremely common uh you keep rolling it you keep wounding it uh but then to in in i believe in the 30s or so this ctc machine was introduced because uh, orthodox rolling has limitations with the volume and also the amount of solids that the tea releases so if you want like a stronger cup of tea typically you go for a ctc which is uh, crushed air curd it's the only process that produces spherical granules of tea naturally and uh, since then lot of tea manufacturer has gone into ctct which is more about strength and to mass market uh, as far as indian mass market is concerned uh, by majority we consume ctct uh, majority of which does come from assam uh, and in terms of tea processing uh, fundamentals south india is a very interesting dynamic so we do have a lot of ctcts but in south india you have a fair amount of orthodox factories as well 
uh, and this is another essay on how the economics and trade of tea works because lot of indian orthodox tea we are one of the leading exporters by the way and one of the largest importers of tea from uh, of orthodox tea from india is actually iran so hence if you go to lot of orthodox tea factories in india you'll see this halal certification for tea because for that geography it's important so these things are very very important to bear in mind because if you get into tea it's a very very fascinating way to study how economics work and keep emphasizing the fact that it's truly a very good example of global economy you can't just you know isolate some aspect and say uh, that you know tea is here tea is there i can't do this i can do it if you start uh, you know localizing tea its consumption or its distribution the economy will crumble in no time just like lot of these other uh, agricultural products out there so uh, you know the, so, so that's something again to keep in mind when you're talking about tea or any other food product so we export a lot of tea we import some tea uh, but as far as export is concerned we export to a wide variety of countries and 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 that is a fantastic example of how the economy is actually a interdependent global economy rather than some kind of an insular uh, economy or something yeah so so okay so the orthodox these are largely exported then of course there is lot of uh, green tea manufacture that happens in uh, south india and assam uh, and 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 uh, you know some of it is exported lot of it is now being consumed the green tea uh consumption in india is on the rise uh, people are you know getting conscious about uh various health aspects and uh, green tea is known to have some you know fat uh, burning metabolism related benefits particularly when your life is sedentary uh, there are some benefits and uh, just to briefly mention the health benefits of tea see, uh obviously it's not uh, some of it is anecdotal but some of it is actually true so tea is the polyphenols are known to have what is called a vasodilatory effect which improves blood circulation and in general therefore ties to your heart health so there are ample studies that uh, you know prove the vasodilatory effects of tea uh, as far as immunity benefits are concerned uh, the combination of tea plus herb uh is known to provide some immunity benefit but it's not i'm not going to say that you know if you have like a viral fever please drink tea tea will cure it i'm i'm obviously not going to say that it has benefits which is you know associated with long term consumption but obviously it's not a cure so to speak so that is something to be uh, kept in mind now okay so let me get a slightly more technical about tea processing because i think this is all uh relatively generic information so let me take you through like a fate of a tea factory yeah so let us say i am a tea factory and i have decided on what quality of leaf to pluck it could be a two leaf and a bud or a three leaf and a bud or a four leaf and a bud whatever it is once i standardize that let's also understand that you know uh when you pluck a tea leaf it starts to die and the process of respiration till death is an exothermic process so it's not like i can pluck a leaf in assam and bring it all the way to west bengal and manufacture it the, the radius that a tea leaf can travel is maximum 1 to 2 hours otherwise this exothermic reaction will start scorching the leaf so whatever leaf is plucked and packed into bags or whatever has to be transported and la- has to land at a factory within a stipulated period of time 
so so that makes the supply chain of tea leaves a little bit i mean it's not very challenging it's established but something to again keep in mind as to you know it's not like uh, if i'm trying to set up an atta factory and if i need right. wheat wheat can come from anywhere so but tea leaf not not so much you your travel radius has to be within uh, ideally 5 to 10 kilometers and the travel time can't be more than an uh, more than a couple of hours otherwise the quality starts getting screwed up right there that's a very fascinating aspect of yeah. uh, of it compared to any of your other uh, you know yeah. uh, uh, other products that are made where you can grow it elsewhere Absolutely. and you take it somewhere yes. else to get it processed your yeah. your exactly. time to process is you know is diminishing as as the hours go and therefore you have to be Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So then once you get this leaf I you know spread it on a surface so that you know it, it it kind of settles down a little bit and so that so so when i set up a factory it's set up to produce a certain amount of volume depending on how much leaf i can source every single day on a consistent basis so my factory set up uh, based on that particular volume so now the why so, and also it's not like you know the leaf keeps on coming as, as a steady stream so the plucking starts early in the mo- let's take assam as an example plucking starts as early as 6 to 7 in the morning uh people pluck the leaf put them in bags the bags are loaded in the truck starting at noon uh, people are paid by the number of bags they have plucked every day uh and you know once the leaves start coming in uh then you start the whole process so you spread the leaf uh and you know establish a steady rhythm of uh, leaf chopping at the factory not at the source because source is always a bit erratic so once you now start uh, uh you know chopping the leaf and then you of course off, the, the way you chop the leaf the ctc rollers has a lot of uh, configurational details uh so if you're if you want to manufacture manufacture larger particles versus smaller particles you have to change the configuration of the entire factory so it's not like you know randomly let's chop something and then you know, let's take it from there so I, i'll tell you why that doesn't work and it's not as simple as that so let's say you chop the leaf this will have all kinds of particle sizes now as a manufacturer i can't uh, you know uh, afford to waste even single grain of tea uh, because then i'm literally wasting all the energy all the manpower all the investments i have made in terms of capital investments on every single equipment Uh, which runs into lakhs and crores right so every single grain has to be accounted for so we start with something called like you know bop is a broken orange peco is a la- one of the larger tea granules to fine dust so you will get a range of these particles and every single day you will get a range of these particles so i have to find a home for all these things so assam if i am in assam assam dust has a particular home assam leaf grade has a certain particular home and and this is why maintaining equipment maintaining raw material quality is extremely important i'll tell you why see in addition to leaf you also have these stalks and stems which come as a package deal right it's not like i just plug the leaf you also yeah. plug these stalks and stems now if that changes by even 10% or so for the same cutting configuration the shape of particles the particle size distribution changes like anything right so therefore on let's say i have identified home for uh, my leaf and dust grade material uh, if this raw material fluctuates that ratio changes so i am left sometimes with excess of one type of particle size over the other what do i do with that and these stalks and stems will give you fibers what do i do with that typically 
you know all these stalks stem fibers etc they are used for instant tea extraction so that's the other kind of tea that we'll uh, touch upon uh, or i guess we have touched upon so so all these so, uh, what i'm trying to say is it seems very very simple as okay let's take a leaf let's stop it let's make tea let's steep it let's drink it but if i'm a tea manufacturer it is a ridiculously complex proposition not to mention uh, tea growth needs spurts of rain so with each rain you get a flush now if there is a drought or if there is a flood that entire thing collapses year after year we are seeing this we are seeing this in assam south india is facing a drought every now and then uh, especially in the nilgiri so so this this uh, you know uh, whole climate change that uh, is happening around us is very very real we may not feel the effect of it but if you are in a industry like tea Uh, you'll feel the pinch every single year which is exactly why lot of these tea growing areas are maintained in a very very pristine manner that's the reason why uh, nilgiri and kunnur is banning plastic because people are realizing that okay if you just dump anything in the soil that screws up everything around uh, us that relies on the soil and the quality of the soil to grow so i see this day in and day out i experience this day in and day out so something as basic as tea uh the kind of hard work that goes into growing the kind of thinking that goes from the tea manufacturer's perspective uh, the kind of economy it sustains the kind of delicate balance between i am exporting to these countries i have to bear the sensibilities in mind uh, it, it, it's it's an incredibly fascinating essay on Uh, it's like it's it's like a microcosm of sorts where you have to live harmoniously with nature with other people with other countries and you know respect nature to the best of its abilities because if you mess with nature you are doomed and there is rarely a better example uh, to illustrate that uh, than tea i'll probably take a pause because i realized that i've kind of wandered all over the place but <laughs> uh, i kind of wanted to take a side detour from this uh, uh, you know because obviously see none of what i'm saying is rocket science but uh, usually when you talk about tea the conversation invariably goes into oh, this tea tastes better this tea is made this way that tea is better but i want to give a slightly different kind of a perspective on how challenging and complex tea uh, uh, how challenging and complex uh this whole tea industry is and will continue to be because like i said anything can change but the fact that tea grows in certain places is processed in certain places you can't take the leaf from one state and move it to a different state and process it these fundamental limitations will continue to exist and uh, you know therefore there are lot of uh, critical touch points and limitations associated with making tea so 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 when you're sipping a good cup of tea next time just be mindful of the fact that you know it touches the lives of every socio economic strata in our country the the, the pluckers uh, who belong to a certain economic strata to the uh, estate manager to the manufacturer to the laborer and it's it's, it's again a fascinating essay of uh, you know uh, how men and women equally participate to make a good cup of the pluckers largely females uh, here coffee is also a fantastic example because as far as plucking and harvesting the leaves or grains uh, beans are concerned it's actually a very women dominated area 
processing traditionally and continues to be a male dominated area but having said that uh, there is one thing i uh, find in the south versus assam is that in south india on the factory floor uh, the female representation is way higher than uh, assam in general in assam if you go to a typical factory shop floor it will be male dominated but uh, and, and i have this little anecdote that i keep sharing uh, with uh, my spouse nandu there is one particular factory that i can't name but uh, i go here for work and the entire on the floor uh, workforce consists of women and these are women uh, who are definitely uh, beyond 45 every single woman who lugs 25 kg of bags of tea dumps them handles the dhool moves in buckets blah blah all the physical stuff every single woman that i know in the factory uh is way fitter than probably i'll ever be so every time i go there it's a very very humbling experience on uh, you know how ridiculously fit people are and and with the lack of fuel if you look at the fuel consumption in terms of what they eat and drink and the kind of work that they crank out it 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 is absolutely mind boggling it's absolutely mind boggling uh so 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 yeah that's again like a, on a, on a side note uh that you know uh, there is a lot that goes into when you drink a cup of tea uh you have essentially uh, you know biologists biochemists uh process engineers uh you have you know all these different kinds of expertises and pro- uh, specialties come together to give you that good uh you know good cup of tea so it's lot more than storytelling because storytelling is great but if the product is not good the storytelling is not going to stick so so these are you know some of the facets that you need to consider when you're taking up it's, it's truly a, a brilliantly brilliantly representative beverage every strata of society has contributed towards uh making that tea and and tea you know it, it's a uh it's truly an kind of an inclusive uh way of uh, life that that was beautiful uh, ajit <clears throat> uh especially that anecdote about uh the factory where you know was uh, was really nice so i wanted to ask you a few questions so, so now so now we've seen uh, the history of uh tea how it is grown and you know how it can only be grown in uh cooler climates with relatively high amounts of rainfall you need acidic soil and then um, you also we also went into uh, the the leaves uh, and you know how you get the two leaves and the bud and then different ways of oxidation which gives you your different types of teas because in because I mean, like i said in addition to just the white green and black you also have oolong and purple tea but they're all yeah. si- similar uh, yeah. uh or i now there's also the whole matcha tea but then they all come down to the very same yeah. thing you know you're still taking the same tea and it's only how much you're oxidizing yeah. it or how you are um oxidizing is going to give give you different one so that that was fabulous and then you also went into the production uh, of tea at scale uh wanted to then now start talking about the consumption of tea mm-hmm. and this is very interesting for me because uh unlike uh, so uh, unlike coffee right tea is way more uh, democratized uh, across uh, across the world in and th- there is less snobbery 
<laughs> if i could say uh involved no i i i would back to i don't know about that you know and that there is no tea there is i mean there no tea is not the most I, i meant in the brewing not in the uh, I, i meant in the, in the brewing like in because in uh, with coffee with the extraction you have um different ways of uh, extracting uh, coffee yeah. the Uh, you know mm. whether it's an espresso or a drip and so on and so forth uh with tea mm. your extraction is predominantly steeping or uh brewing right yeah. so the question my question was more towards this whole concept of strong tea or you know that people like to say again i'm, I'm doing air mm. quotes you can't see it but what yeah. determines the strength <laughs> of a tea is it the is it how much caffeine is extracted from the leaves or is it <clears throat> ever or what is this or or is it just color is it the darker it is just so what is this perception of strength mm. in tea okay see strength is a simple measure of uh, concentration of polyphenols it's as simple as that so i i'm going to take black tea as an example right mm. see tea at the end of the day has water soluble solids right uh if i take black tea uh, you have these certain polyphenols theoflavins theorubigins there are several subcategories along with caffeine so as far as strength is concerned it's just a measure of how much polyphenols have you extracted but what is interesting is is the kind of see there are two things there is a quantity of polyphenols and there is a profile of polyphenols tea has camellia sinensis has theoflavins and theorubigins and the amount of theoflavins and theorubigins present in a tea is a direct function of what you have plucked as a leaf if it is largely two leaf and a bud you will have more theoflavins if you go into the third leaf fourth leaf fifth leaf the theorubigin and theoflavin profile will change and that gives you a red pink kind of a liquor that you see down south so if i go to a typical uh, kerala cutting chai kada or a tamil nadu uh, or a karnataka chai kada it will have a nice red strong intense hue whereas if i go to assam and have a milk tea or go to gujarat and have a milk tea it will have like a it is literally like you know like a golden sunshine in a cup it will be golden orange in color so that results from the fact that the theoflavin and theorubigin profiles are different caffeine obviously is a more or less colorless so it doesn't do much to the color it just imparts a certain briskness uh, in terms of the uh, taste and of course it acts as a basic stimulant so so the strength to answer your question is about how much so let's say i take a given uh, tea so the longer i steep the more solids i am extracting stronger will be my tea that's as simple as that uh but yeah again you know it depends on the consumer's preference some consumers like this whole strong kadak chai they really want like a like a hit of uh you know tea and uh, uh one interesting fact about tea is that it's probably one of the rarest species on the planet which has a molecule called theanine uh and this is why tea is often associated with uh purported health benefits like you are alert yet relaxed mm-hmm. and that has to do with how theanine interacts with your body and brain uh so tea is one of the rare things that you can have any time of the day depending on the type of tea that you drink uh if you if tea can calm you down tea can you know make you feel alive and tea can keep you sustain it can sustain you uh 
so so tea that way is a very interesting beverage so by tuning the ratio of these compounds you can actually uh, make your tea do certain things for you uh brilliant absolutely brilliant uh my next question was going to be around <coughs> So uh since you're working uh you know in the field and you you know at scale you're you're producing a lot of tea commercial that is sold commercially now because tea is brewed differently across uh the country uh how much of a challenge is it uh, uh for you? because for example some people you know they boil it in uh water and then we'll you know just add like a, a couple of spoonfuls of of milk uh, and sugar whereas some will yeah. boil it in milk directly and you know boil everything together along with uh, so and because these way these ways of preparation are different but we're still buying you know the mm. the industrial grade uh, com- yeah. commercially available yeah. uh, tea yeah. how much of a challenge is it for your side of the world to say okay this should taste good no matter how they prepare it right so what goes into that is it is, it, is that is that where all the different blends come in to mm. ensure that you can still get a good cup of tea irrespective of how you prepare it uh, it's a fantastic question max see uh, so at the heart of uh, our uh, you know uh, at the heart is always the consumer so you need to study the consumer very very rigorously and uh, just like any geography is diverse so are the consumers right so like you said different people prepare tea in a different way now as a researcher my job is to take those cues from consumers and convert it into a technical problem and apply engineering principles to it as a very simple example uh, if you open up a packet of tea so let's take you know a, a large danedar chai it's not like every particle is of the same size the particles still continue to be of different size now simple uh, physics right larger the surface area smaller the particles greater the uh, delivery of solids for a given mass now that accounts for strength now uh, different raw materials of that starts with the leaf if you look at the two leaf and the bud it doesn't it's, it's very pliable and supple supple and when i go down the tea plant i uh, look at the leaves that are hardy and you know more leathery because the wax cuticle is way higher when you process these different kinds of leaves the physical properties such as porosity uh, surface properties the way water ingresses into it is different so therefore how do i take these materials with different physico chemical properties and blend them to give a certain end cup depending on how the consumer prepares is the name of the game not to mention since tea has so many molecules a simple concept called the partition coefficient comes into picture when you are uh taking chai and say putting it in hot water there is a lot of thermodynamics uh that goes into why does the water go into begin with and when it goes in what exactly it interacts with obviously not every component is going to be extracted at the same pace there are different molecular weights there are different hydrophilicities and hydrophobicities associated with different chemicals so at a given temperature and everything is happening simultaneously right i can't tell the uh, molecule okay stop don't extract now you extract later or something but everything this whole cascade of extraction is happening super fast 
and as i am uh, you know uh, heating the water and tea together or what have you the temperature is increasing steadily from, from whatever 25 35 45 55 all the way to 80 90 c each temperature different molecules will come out at a different rate so and when you add water in the mix uh, you are changing the fundamental uh, hydrophilicity you are altering the extent of hydrophilicity of water not to mention water has now fats so more fat soluble stuff will come uh, things like that is it's incredibly complex so to take a consumer preference in terms of how they make tea and then to break it down into technical concepts like okay hydrophilicity hydrophobicity uh, surface mechanics of tea granules uh, thermodynamics of uh, water ingress milk ingress and extraction so you actually end up applying a lot of stuff that you studied in college uh, in, in in tea science and, and that is Uh, something that i learned uh, and and i still continue to be boggled by that in spite of working on the same things for the last 8 to 9 years it still boggles my mind how uh, some simple chemical engineering concepts that you learned in college uh, actually still uh, you know come to your rescue every now and then being a tea researcher so 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 to answer your question the idea is to study the consumer uh, how they make tea uh, and different people make tea different way so you get that insight break it down into a technical problem convert them into principles that you can apply and then try to solve for a problem uh, ajit you have no idea how awesome this was <clears throat> i mean uh, this has been Thank you. such an awesome experience just to and uh, you know I, though i know you in a in a very in a personal capacity just you know your voice when you were talking about the you know was it was it a different crescendo <laughs> <laughs> compared to uh, when yeah, you do yeah well, this is close to my heart so yeah. and you know if someone if, when when this comes out and someone listen they'll wonder if i'm even on the podcast <laughs> but but that 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 was the goal oh, yeah. to uh, to have you speak Uh, about the especially because like i said it's so close to your heart and it is you know been part of your life for the greater part of a decade now um as you are you know traveling to different regions uh from the nilgiris to the uh, assam uh, and now in kenya uh trying to uh you know document your travels on social media you know and how but at the same time uh looking at how uh, tea is being grown in all these places and that that whole uh, thing about uh, turkey I, i had no idea at all and it, it is 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 very fascinating because uh, i didn't think that uh, you know you would have tea in a, in a region that sees uh, sub zero uh, temperatures so that that, that was uh, yeah. really great also your <clears throat> the the whole portion about the the industrialization and how tea is made to scale because a lot of the other po- things you could find online because i was reading papers on uh the cultivars and things like that so that kind of po- that kind of stuff i was able to find online but uh, the behind the scenes uh of how tea is produced at scale and uh, co- commercially ma- made uh, was, was was really fabulous ajit actually one 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 funny thing is uh... all this knowledge is actually available in the public domain now there is a whole world that we explore that is not available in the public domain but i obviously can't speak about it for obvious reasons uh, only thing that i'd request uh, listeners and anyone who enjoys tea is to you know uh, like have an open mind that you know okay teas can be different just like people 
and if you feel that you are not compatible with a certain cup of tea it's okay i mean totally respect the choice personal choices but uh, like you know we have these food debates or any other debates uh, based on you know uh, differences just be mindful of the fact that to make a simple cup of tea uh, you know uh, nearly 4 to 4 and a half uh, times the mass of leaf has been plucked it has been uh, and, and plucking that leaf has sustained someone's livelihood in probably some remote part of the country and then somebody has to drive that leaf to the factory so it supports their livelihood uh you have leaf brokers it supports their livelihood then you have a factory person it supports their livelihood the factory person employs a lot of people more often than not uh, you know not the most highly educated people two very highly educated people. and uh, you know it it supports a lot of packaging people it's uh, there's a lot of secondary uh, industries that are uh, you know tied up with tea industry packaging uh and and there is an inherent element of sustainability built in there uh and then you have the tasters community then you have people who sell their tea people who you know create magic not to mention all the thousands of chai walas and chai shops uh, that are out there you know when you are really down or when you are stressed or you relaxed you go to a nearest tapri or tea kada a chai kada and 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 have that refreshing brew it makes you feel good so so whether you are at home or whether you are outside uh, you know uh, this is and and like i said it, it it contributes immensely to the interdependent global economy that india is uh, known for and should be proud of so in that small cup of tea lie all these plethora of things uh, not to mention i hope i have been able to uh you know uh, touch upon the fact that there's a ridiculous amount of science and engineering that goes into it as well so just be just just be aware of that when you uh you know have a have a have a cup of tea so so i hope uh, there is some sense of appreciation for these various facets uh, of tea so when you have a cup of tea next time uh, just i don't know have a think about it and 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 realize that you know Uh, a lot of love and care and hard work has been put into it uh, so that you could enjoy a refreshing cuppa that was lovely ajit and and you know so depending on what type of tea uh, you can afford you know whether it is the purples and the matchas or your whites and oolongs or black tea or any tea that uh, you can afford you know this all teas are born equal as we did and truly you know not 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 just saying it it truly because they all come from the same uh, uh from the same shrub and are uh, it's just how it's processed and what you know what changes uh, things so all teas are definitely born equal so you know don't i don't think there is need to diss one or the other and in any form of elticism or snobbery so you know whether you are a chai latte drinker at starbucks or uh, you know your brook bond or any uh, thing else and then you know just enjoy your tea i guess uh, and that's that's what it is right and and if you know me i'm also known for my horrible jokes so let me share one i don't know if it goes you know how matcha tea should actually be a bengali's favorite because 
you know bengalis always they never say they drink they always say khaben so even if it's water it is khaben it is eating so matcha tea is actually you take the leaf and grind it into a very very fine micronized powder and you just disperse it in water it's probably the only tea which is not dissolved but dispersed so that in its true sense is chai khaben because you are literally eating the tea therefore uh, i think all bengalis will really appreciate matcha a lot sorry so matcha khabe yeah. you would say matcha <laughs> oh you can you can call it matcha jhol like matcha jhol you can have matcha jhol my god matcha jhol that is it so bad it's good you have lost the one bengali listener so bad it's good yes matcha yes. jhol i will maybe even call yes. the podcast as matcha jhol and uh... <laughs> done and done sounds good to me <laughs> on that note ajit you know it's always fun talking to you uh this is a fabulous start thank to you. uh season 2 so uh thank you for uh, your time and uh, <clears throat> giving us such a deep insight into the world of tea um and then where can people find you online okay so i am at ajit_bhaskar a j i t _b h a s k a r on twitter and i am at macro ajit m a c r o a j i t on instagram i don't think i'll be sharing my linkedin profile because i am not active on linkedin <laughs> no and uh, if you are in bangalore or on a saturday morning you might find ajit uh, eating dosas right next to you yes. you might not even notice so if you see a guy uh, in running shoes and headphones <laughs> uh, gobbling up dosas then that's probably ajit <laughs> you can also find him on a saturday morning any darshini uh, in south bangalore yes uh this is max uh, signing off for the nerd kitchen podcast please give us a listen on apple spotify itunes uh, or google podcast wherever you listen to your podcast to like share subscribe tell your friends about us leave us a comment um you can find us on twitter or instagram so let us know uh, we'll be back for more episodes Thanks for listening You're listening to the Nerd Kitchen podcast. Thank you. I hope you like it.